Hello, everybody, and welcome to 30 Minute Thrive, your go-to podcast for anything and everything HR, powered by MRA, the Management Association. Looking to stay on top of the ever-changing world of HR? MRA has got you covered. We'll be the first to tell you what's hot and what's not. I'm your host, Sophie Voller, and we are so glad you're here. Now it's time to thrive. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minute Thrive. FMLA is one of our top requested topics from our podcast subscribers, so no pressure on today's guests, but we're really glad to have this opportunity to talk about all of the complexities of FMLA eligibility, outlining who qualifies, and exploring the spectrum of covered events. So our our goal really for today's podcast is to help provide some clarity um, to you on federal FMLA. So I'm joined by Rob Lapota, HR Director, part of MRA's Learning and Development Team. Rob, you have over 30 years of HR experience. You've answered more than 15,000 member calls on the HR hotline, and you're recognized as one of the top knowledge experts on our topic for today, and that's federal FMLA. So Rob, I'm, I'm really excited to have you here today as the subject matter expert, and thanks for joining us. Yeah, it's... Uh Thank you for asking me to be here today and welcome to everybody for our interesting talk. Yes. Uh, like I like to tell people in our training program with FMLA Made Simple, get your notebook out because you're going to be taking a lot of notes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Get them out. <laughs> well, Rob, let's kind of start out with the big overarching question here, and that is, what is FMLA? I know uh, we have a lot of HR professionals, obviously, who listen um, to the podcast who know what FMLA is, but some of our other listeners who may not be in that HR professional um, may not know exactly what FMLA is. So can you kind of just give us an overarching picture as we start out? The first acronym, FMLA, first, let's talk about that, yeah. uh, Family Medical Leave Act. So that's a, on a federal basis, that was a law that was passed back in 1993, mm-hmm. and it impacts employers that have 50 or more employees anywhere in the United States. Here's a, kind of like a short definition of here's what the law is all about. 12 weeks of unpaid leave with no penalty to the employee. Now, that sounds like a very simple one-sentence definition of what is FMLA, but therein lies the complexity. Mm-hmm. The no penalty to the employee, that's a challenging aspect of the law. And what qualifies as a reason for taking FMLA that's the other big challenging portion. And then the overriding complexity of this law, I, the employee, when I'm going to be off of work, I don't ask for FMLA. So, for example, if you were a supervisor, I don't call in and say, hey, Sophie, it's Rob. Last night, my uh, daughter, she was uh, knocked unconscious in a soccer match, and she's actually been admitted to Children's Hospital in Milwaukee. That's where I am right now. Mm-hmm. I'll give you a call a little bit later today, and I'll give you an update on what's going on. That's it. I, the employee, does not mandatory under the law for me, mm-hmm. the employee, to say, Oh, and by the way, Sophie, why don't you give me some of that FMLA stuff? Mm -hmm. The way the federal law is written, it is the employer's responsibility Mm. in all circumstances to designate leave as FMLA qualifying. 
So therefore, because of that complexity, that's what makes it our number one call on the HR hotline. Yeah, I was <laughs> In fact, just, over 20% of our calls are just on FMLA. I was just going to mention that that this is one of our top calls on the HR hotline. Yeah, and, and still remains to be. Yes, and we've had some topics on the podcast on FMLA just because it is one of our most highly um, requested topics. And like you said, there's so many different complexities within that, even though that one sentence you gave us seems so simple. Mm-hmm. It's not as simple as you may think. That's correct. <laughs> what factors then determine an employee's eligibility for FMLA, FMLA leave, and how does an employer ensure compliance with these criteria? So there's several criteria, and the first is I need to be working at a covered employer for FMLA, and a covered employer is one that has 50 or more employees on their payroll anywhere in the United States, and it also includes temporary employees from a temp service. So if I have 25 employees that are on my payroll and I use 25 from a temp service, Mm -hmm. I actually have 50 employees for federal FMA purposes. I'm covered Mm -hmm. by the law. So for an eligible employee, first of all, I have to be working for a covered employer. Mm -hmm. Then I have several other criteria that need to be met. Number one, I need to be working for at least 12 months for that employer. Number two, I work at least 1,250 hours in the 12 months prior to my need for leave. And third, I have to be working at a facility that has 50 or more employees within a 75 mile radius. Now, again, just like that little definition I gave you of FMLA, yeah. well, that seems pretty straightforward, doesn't it? But there's a lot of twists and turns within those definitions. So for example, the 12 months of service on a federal level, it need not be consecutive. So I could be working, for example, as a college intern as an, for an organization, let's say in marketing, yeah. uh, and work for four summers in a row, three months each summer, mm-hmm. and we're recording this in December. So let's say that I'm graduating in December, and I'm going to start with the employer January mm-hmm. of 2024. Well, you actually count my three months of service going back four years. Because it's a seven-year look-back period. Okay. So here's the strange thing. Mm-hmm. Effective on January 2nd, 2024, mm-hmm. let's say that's my official start date, I'll actually have 12 months of service for that employer. The same thing goes when people leave organizations. Let's just say I worked at an employer from 2015 to 2020, and then I get rehired on January 2nd, 2024 by that same employer. Well, again, there could be up to a seven-year break in service that's well within that. Mm-hmm. So I'll actually have 12 months of service on my first day of employment, mm. re-employment, I should say, with that employer. Second of all, the 1,250 hours, uh, that is paid time only. Mm. That does not include things like holiday pay, PTO, sick pay, self-funded short-term disability payments, those are not included in that. So it's just actual work hours. And then that third criteria, this is, and again, another strange one. I work at a facility that has 50 or more employees within a 75-mile radius. Well, let's just take it for plain value. Mm -hmm. Let's say that we have an organization that has three facilities. They're all within 75 miles of each other, and one employs 30, Mm -hmm. another one employs 20, and a third facility employs 20 there. Mm -hmm. Well, that's 70 employees. So if I work at any of those facilities, I'm working at a facility that has 50 employees within a 75 mile radius. Mm -hmm. Now that's also extended to include remote employees. And although that's since COVID, uh, you know, a lot of remote work going on and still today, 
The little twist with that, I'm included in the headcount where I get my work instructions from. So here we are, we're in Waukesha, Wisconsin, recording our program. And this is our, let's call it our corporate offices for MRA. Mm -hmm. So let's say that I live in Iowa and I work remotely, but I report to my manager who is here in the Waukesha, Wisconsin location. For the 50 employees within a 75 mile radius, I'm actually counted in the Waukesha, Wisconsin headcount for FMLA eligibility. Now, some employers don't have that. They might have facilities, for example, in one state yeah. that are not within 75 miles of each other, and we don't have 50 employees within that 75 mile radius. However, they still have 50 total employees, so they're covered employers under the law. Well, now what do you do? I'm a covered employer, but I literally, I don't have any eligible employees because we don't work at a facility that has 50 employees within a 75 mile radius. Mm -hmm. What do we do? Well, if I was your head of HR, what I would recommend is that we treat all of our locations as though we have 50 employees within a 75 mile radius. This can also become a little bit of an employer relations issue. Mm -hmm. Let's say that one of those facilities has 125 employees mm -hmm. and the other ones are outside of the 75 mile radius. And let's just say they have you know 40 employees each. Well, during employment meetings, I've had this happen before, uh, our plant that has 125 people, that's gonna be eligible employees. Mm -hmm. Got 50 employees within a 75 mile radius, but location B and C, we're not going to call you covered employers, right. eligible employees, excuse me, uh, because you don't work at a facility that has 50 employees within a 75 mile radius. So too bad, so sad, you lose. Okay. Well, from an employer relations standpoint, when you go have your employee meetings, the employees at company B and C are going to immediately throw their hands up and they're going to right. go, why does everybody at location A, how come they get FMLA and we don't get FMLA? Well, you got to understand, you don't work at a facility that has 50 employees within a 75 mile radius. That's an employer relations disaster. Mm -hmm. So that's why I suggest, it's not mandatory, but I suggest you, you treat those locations as though they do have 50 employees within a 75 mile mm -hmm. radius. Absolutely. And I, I love that you're giving those scenarios because that that helps um, helps a, a little more to, I don't know, understand. I, I'm sure a lot of people have these certain situations oh, too. Absolutely. So are there any um, common misconceptions then with FMLA eligibility that you often encounter or kind of see as you're working with members? And how can these kind of be clarified then? The biggest misconceptions for the employee eligibility portion, it covers around those areas of there could be up to a seven-year break in service. Mm -hmm. So the example I gave that I'm a college student working in marketing, yep. I work for you through 2020, you rehire me. A lot of employers are not aware, I have 12 months of service effective on day one. And the other big misconception about eligibility, a lot of our uh, members of MRA, they will work on what's called a temp to perm basis. Mm -hmm. Well, they'll have employees from a temporary service work for like 90 days. And if they work out, they'll put them on their payroll. Well, that's a situation called joint employment. So for those temporary employees that we put on our payroll, effective on day one, the hours that they worked and the months of service that they worked actually do count towards their eligibility of 12 months of service and 1,250 hours worked. 
You're like a walking book of knowledge, Rob. <laughs> like well, that's what people tell me. Yep. I've even had some people tell me I know a little bit too much about FMLA. <laughs> I think so. But that's why you're the perfect guest here. You can answer well, any of the questions. Much. So well, I have an advantage. Yeah. I've been in here at MRE 25 years. Yes. As an instructor, I, I'm, we're not attorneys here, mm -hmm. but I love the law. I read a lot of court. I mean, I've read thousands and yeah. thousands of court cases. Mm -hmm. um, keep up with employment blogs that talk about FMLA. Jeff Nowak is mm -hmm. probably one of the top people in the United States. Uh, his blog, FMLA Insights. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I just I actually find it very fascinating. Well, that's great. <laughs> and you probably get a lot of calls too on FMLA where exactly. you're able to kind of give those scenarios and here's what I would do in that situation kind of thing. Correct. So next question here, in what situations might employees find themselves ineligible then for federal FMLA leave? And do you have any alternatives or options that may be available to them that you can suggest? So we'll go back to the eligibility requirements. I worked for you for 12 months and I have at least 1,250 hours mm -hmm. worked in the 12 months prior. Okay. And we already kind of explained that 50 yeah. employees within the 75 mile radius once, mm -hmm. well, we don't need to hit that one. That would be a point of ineligibility that I don't okay. you know, work there. So let's, let's focus on those first two. Mm -hmm. So for the hours of work, let's say that uh, I get, let's just go with January 2nd, 2024, since it's right around the corner mm -hmm. here. Let's say that it's my first day of work. Um, let's say that in March, 2024, I'm diagnosed with cancer. They catch it early, it's not very advanced, but I do need to miss work mm -hmm. for radiation treatments. And then if necessary to recover from those radiation treatments. Well, I still have to send me as mm -hmm. the new employee who's only been there for three months now, I still need to get an eligibility notice from the mm -hmm. employer. There's three mandatory notices that need to go out. Mm -hmm. So I need to get that eligibility notice that states you're not eligible for FMLA, federal FMLA, why mm -hmm. you haven't been here 12 months. As of the date of your need for leave, this is on the eligibility notice. You've worked X months towards 12 months of eligibility. So the employer would write three months in there. Hours of work. If I am working part-time, I could be working for you for over a year but again, if I don't have that 1,250 actual work hours, that could be our second issue where I will not be eligible as the employee. Now, in our training, I always tell employers, if we can't give FMLA, if it doesn't qualify, it's an issue that's not covered by FMLA, we need to be much more flexible as employers today with time off yeah. and adjusting schedules. What other policies do you have as an employer mm -hmm. so that employee can have time off? Maybe you have a policy, it's called a forced substitution policy. Mm -hmm. You must use any accrued unused PTO, whatever you're going to be missing work. Maybe that's what will be yeah. implemented. Maybe there's a personal leave of absence that can be mm -hmm. used. Now, if it's for the employee's own medical issues, for example, the uh, cancer, Mm -hmm. that I gave you, that's actually now going to fall under the American with Disabilities Act. Mm. Now, we have an employee who's suffering with cancer, which is considered a disability, mm -hmm. and they're not eligible for FMLA, so we would actually need to provide unpaid leave as mm. an accommodation under the American with Disabilities Act. So I'm going to get a eligibility notice, you're not eligible for FMLA, but then I'm also going to receive a cover letter, I should, from the employer stating, okay, although you're not eligible for FMLA, 
uh, you are covered under the American with Disabilities Act, and we will be providing you with unpaid leave as an accommodation yep. under that law. So it's very, very important that right. an employer states specifically what laws are applying during what time mm -hmm. of their leaves. Interesting. Yeah, well, that's great to know. And I know you've covered um, this a little bit in our past questions on certain examples of medical leaves, but do you have any other examples that are covered instances or events um, under FMLA? And are there specific nuances for each type of leave? So how much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> this is where... However long you need, Rob. <laughs> this is where we're getting into the nuts and bolts of yeah. the mechanics of FMLA that can get very, very complicated, weedy, very, very fast. So let's try to summarize this yeah. for our listeners and our viewers. Perfect. So I like to refer to these as buckets of leave. So there's nine completely different buckets of leave. Mm -hmm. All of them can have completely different operating orders. For example, when does that one come into impact? Yep. Uh, when, are we, when do we apply it? Excuse me, I should have said that. When do we apply that particular mm -hmm. need for leave? How do we certify it? How long will that individual be off of work? And here's, again, another big misunderstanding from employers. And I hear this now. I've been doing this for 25 years. Yeah. The law has been in place for over 30 years now. Mm -hmm. I will still have, and I'm not surprised, managers and supervisors in our supervisor in the law course, our FMLA overview class, mm -hmm. and even HR people in our FMLA made simple yep. administration class for FMLA. So how long do you need to be off of work in order for FMLA to apply? Our hands go up and they go, oh, I know, I know, I know. Uh, you have to be out of work three consecutive work days. And then when you're out for three consecutive work days, that's when FMLA applies. The answer is, no, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> Rob's like, no, nice try. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. In fact, all of the buckets of leave, except for one, can actually be taken in hourly increments. Oh, wow. So let's talk about the one that you do need to have multiple days of absence. This is a common one that happens. Mm -hmm. And this particular bucket's called continuing treatment. And part of this bucket of leave, I, the employee, need to be out for four consecutive calendar days, or I'm off of work taking care of the same family member mm -hmm. for four consecutive calendar days. Now, what's tricky about this bucket is that this is the only one where the employee can actually just call in and say, I'm sick. Mm. And it could be FMLA. Now, the reason why we say it could be FMLA, once it meets these requirements for these yeah. particular buckets, well, then the employer responds. Remember I said earlier, the employee mm -hmm. doesn't ask. The right. employer responds with all the mandatory notices. But mm -hmm. all these absences need to be documented with a certification form. None of this is done verbally. It's right. all documented. So uh, we use that medical certification form. So, Sophie, it's Rob. Let's, it's Monday. For so if you try, I'm sick, I'm not going to be in today. That's not yeah. FMLA. Mm -hmm. Tuesday, Sophie, it's Rob, I'm still sick, I won't be in today. Not nope, not FMLA. Now, Wednesday, Sophie, last night my wife took me to urgent care. I don't have COVID, but I've got some sort of a respiratory thing that's going around. I actually feel worse. <laughs> not going to be in today. We're not there yet. Yeah. The way the law defines this particular bucket, it says more than three consecutive calendar days of incapacity. 
So literally what that means is I need to call in four days in a row. So now Thursday, hey, Sophie, it's Rob. I'm still not feeling good. Mm-hmm. Not going to be in today. Now you as my manager, I notify our leave administrator. Could be HR, uh, could be somebody else, payroll maybe. And that starts the FMLA paperwork process. So once the employer is notified of my need for a leave, which in this case would be Thursday, now the employer has five business days from that date to give me the eligibility notice, then write to responsibilities notice. A medical certification form goes along as well, and that needs to be returned within 15 calendar days. And then after that time period ends, there's a third mandatory notice called the designation notice. So this is really, it's a paperwork nightmare. Right. It really, really is. So we, the employer, we act on that fourth day of absence. Now, for this particular bucket, in order to be covered by FMLA, the employee would have to go see a healthcare provider. Mm-hmm. Medical certification form would need to be returned within 15 calendar days. And on that certification form, it's documented they were out for four consecutive calendar days or more. They saw a doctor in person. Mm-hmm. Televisits are included in that. And they got a prescription medication. That's like 90% of the cert forms I've seen in the past. The other could be they saw a healthcare provider two times in person. When that's documented, that then would be qualified and it can be um, marked as FMLA for that mm-hmm. particular employee. So the key there, four consecutive days of absence, yeah. calendar days. If I work Friday, I'm off Saturday and Sunday. Mm-hmm. Friday, Sophie's Rob, I'm sick, I won't be in today. I don't work Saturday and Sunday. Right. Monday, Sophie's Rob, I'm sick, I won't be in today. Believe it or not, under the law, mm-hmm. that's considered more than three consecutive days of incapacity mm-hmm. that actually starts the FMLA paperwork process. Oh. Now, the way that the employee says, I don't want FMLA, yeah. is they never return that medical certification form. Mm-hmm. Now, the employer still needs to go through all the paperwork, all those mandatory notices, but eventually you're going to get a designation notice at the end Mm -hmm. that says, absence is for these four days, not FMLA, Mm -hmm. why you didn't return a medical certification form. So that's that's just one bucket. That's the only one where you can call in sick. And these are short-term illnesses and injuries. Now, there isn't a list that I can give you. It does Mm -hmm. not exist. But this could be the area like colds, ear infections, Mm -hmm. pink eye. COVID falls into this, bronchitis, you strained your back moving grandma's armoire over the weekend, Mm. you went skiing and you broke both of your arms, Mm. you can't work and it's going to be about six to eight weeks, you know, for your bones to heal. So these are short-term illnesses and injuries. Now remember, for either the employee or a covered family member, which would include a spouse, Mm -hmm. children, or parents, and that includes step-parents as well. Mm-hmm. So that's that's one particular bucket. Things like pregnancy, covered by FMLA, even mm-hmm. absences for prenatal visits or morning sickness, mm-hmm. those are covered by FMLA. Anything to do with adoption or foster care placements, those are all covered by FMLA. Any pre-placement uh, issues that need to happen, court, medical evaluations, traveling to different countries, uh, post-adoption, uh, post-foster care placement, being with them, that's covered by FMLA. Interesting. So let's talk now about the number one headache, and I don't mean to be a pun with that. (laughs) The number one headache under FMLA is a bucket called chronic conditions. Hmm. 
So short-term illnesses and injuries, that's that continuing treatment. Mm-hmm. It's got to have at least three consecutive days of incapacity. Chronic conditions, however, these are long-term or permanent medical conditions. Okay. The employee or the covered family member are probably on some sort of a medication. Mm-hmm. And with our certification forms, it's very typical for these chronic conditions to be certified for up to a year. And what we need to look for on the certification form, it's actually the last question on the certification form, and it's the area called frequency and duration. So the number one medical issue that we get on our hotline is migraine headaches. Mm. So the employee has migraines, we send them to their healthcare provider, they bring back the medical certification form, we're going to go look back at that frequency and duration. Mm -hmm. Frequency, how many times a month is this issue going to happen? duration, how long will an event last? Mm -hmm. Well, if the cert form states one to two episodes per month, one to two days per episode, Mm -hmm. that means that that employee could be up to four days of FMLA per month. Mm -hmm. Now, here's why this is the most complicated bucket to deal with. And actually for managers and supervisors, the most frustrating bucket to deal with. When's that employee going to have the next migraine? When is their child going to have their next seizure? You don't. We don't know. There's never a good day to be off of work. Yeah. Now, sadly, this is also the bucket where occasionally we may have an employee that will be a a little bit abusive with us. Mm -hmm. For example, Fridays and Mondays is a pattern of absences, Mm -hmm. days before and after paid holidays, even vacation time to make some sort of an extended period of time off. Now that does happen, but thankfully it's not a very large portion of Mm -hmm. our employees that are using FMLA, but it's gonna be the most frustrating Mm -hmm. one that we have. Now, please keep in mind that all these different areas that we're talking about do not require multiple days of absence. These can all be hourly. So I think right now it's about 10.30 a.m. I can give you a call or I can come over to you by your office and say, hey, Sophie, I feel my IBS about to act up, your irritable bowel syndrome. Mm -hmm. Uh, I need to get out of here and get home. I go home. And if I work until 3 o'clock, you can charge me six hours of FMLA. So I can charge FMLA in hourly increments. So it's not missing whole days. Mm -hmm. It's chronic bucket. It could be parts of days, leaving work early, Uh, coming to work late because Mm -hmm. of that chronic condition. And again, this is why that particular area of leave, that's the most frustrating for employers. These are long-term. So I've been in Emory 25 years. And let's say that I have the migraines up to four days a month of FMLA. Well, if I'm working 12 weeks of leave at my work schedule, that's five days per week at 12 Mm -hmm. weeks, that's 60 individual days, I work eight hours a day. That's 480 hours of FMLA. Well, if my healthcare provider certifies me for four migraines a month, uh, four you know total days of migraines, yeah. well, four times 12 is 48 days. Mm-hmm. I didn't even use up all of my FMLA that I'm eligible for. I still have 12 days left. Once I'm eligible for FMLA, for the next 24 years, I could be missing 48 days for migraines unscheduled partial days coming in late and there's very little that you can do as an employer that's why that one's most frustrating now i always tell managers and supervisors and hr people when we talk about this frustrating bucket 
I, we take a little bit of pause here. Everyone struggles with this. They all know exactly what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. We get upset with these employees. Mm -hmm. And somehow we try to do something to make that person's life miserable. Uh, I'm leaving now of irritable bowel syndrome. Mm -hmm. You look at me and you raise your eyebrows and huff. <sighs> well, I suppose. Uh, under the law, there's two legal things that can happen. Interference of my ability to take leave and retaliation for taking that leave. So a story that I had, an actual event, a manager uh, for a manufacturer, usually when it's the last week of the month, we do a lot to get everything out. We've got to get our orders shipped. Mm -hmm. We want to try to get as much as possible. So end of the month for a manufacturer, that's a big deal. Mm -hmm. So on the beginning Monday of the last week of the month, individual, again, suffered with migraines. And this person typically was off at the end of the month because their migraines were stress-induced. Mm -hmm. So on Monday, the manager has pre-shift meetings always. So on this Monday morning meeting, gathers all the employees together and talks about the week and the jobs that they're working on right now. Then at the very end of the meeting, he goes, now, as you know, this is the last week of the month. We got a couple new customers. We got to make sure that we get this out the door to make these people happy. Mm -hmm. and then he looked directly at the individual with migraines right into their eyes and said, and I'm counting on everyone to be here this week. Mm -hmm. Now, I do say kudos to the employee Actually, congratulations, employee. They went right to their HR department, and they said the right thing. My manager just threatened me that I better not have a migraine this week. Mm -hmm. So I got that call on the hotline, oh. and the member's question was, did our supervisor create any problems? Yeah. And the answer is, you bet they did. They are now interfering with that person's right to take leave. Mm -hmm. And I think, I forgot to mention this before when I was kind of going on with another explanation. That's what I tell about people with the chronic bucket. Yeah. You might be frustrated with your employees. Understand you might be here one day. Right. Now, with my time here at MRA, I've actually had three major surgeries, mm. uh, two shoulder surgeries and a uh, major back surgery. Oh, wow. So I was actually off of work and using FMLA, mm -hmm. and none of that was held against me. Mm -hmm. the revenue lost. Uh, my coworkers that needed to substitute for my yeah. training. On sites that couldn't get booked because I was not available. So that's lost revenue. None of that can be held against that employee. So again, that's that time off unpaid with no penalty to the employee. Mm -hmm. That's why it's a very simple statement, but there's a lot to that implication in the workplace. Yeah, absolutely. So the continuing treatment, the chronic conditions, that's kind of where we see a lot of our mileage you know, with mm -hmm. FMLA use. Now, the other buckets that we have, the employee literally needs to say something medical. For example... Uh, a parent has a stroke and ended up in the hospital. Mm -hmm. So inpatient hospitalizations, anything to do with nursing homes or hospice care, including home hospice care, covered by FMLA. My mom had a stroke. She's in the hospital. That is way, way beyond I'm sick or yeah. I'll be at work today. It's very, very specific. Right. Uh, issues like uh, dealing with end stage of life, mm -hmm. covered by FMLA if the employee needs time off. Not the bereavement part, but if I need right. time off to be with that family member. Mm -hmm. um, Severe arthritis, uh, getting a treatment, for example, physical therapy, uh, kidney dialysis, 
reconstructive surgery after an accident or a cancer. So the reasons for leave are very, very specific medical reasons. Yeah. Now, under the law, there's actually two additional military-related mm -hmm. leaves. One's got a really unusual name called military exigency leave, and the other one's called care for recovered service member. Now, those are for family members of the employee mm. of a covered employer that can take time off when that family member is either deployed on active duty or is injured or becomes sick because of their active duty deployment. Now, on our hotline in my training programs for the last several years, I have not had any examples of those. So if you have an employee that comes in the HR and says, hey, my son's being deployed in the military, can I get some time off? Yeah. Well, then that's that military exigency. Mm -hmm. Deal with it at that point. But other than that, that's the summary for those two conditions. Um, basically, that is the area of the coverage in a quick summary yeah. for FMLA leave. Well, that was a lot. So I hope you all were writing writing notes. Down. I said at the beginning, get your notepad out because you got to take a lot of notes. I feel like now would be a perfect time for a pop quiz or yes, something. Right. <laughs> so take a break and look at all your notes so far. Um, but moving on here, Rob, what advice do you have for employers navigating intermittent um, FMLA leave requests and balancing business needs with employee rights? So here again with our examples with that chronic condition, that's probably where you're going to see that the most often with the intermittent leaves. It can happen with the other areas of leave as well. But let's focus on those chronics. Yeah. Once I'm certified by my healthcare provider, there's actually very little that an employer can do to manage those situations. However, if we do have patterns of potential abuse, mm -hmm. there are a few things that we can do as an employer to deal with those abuse issues. Now, it's a little bit too much for our little overview that we're doing today, but there's a yeah. couple things that we can do as employers. Other than the catching the person in outright fraud, mm -hmm. fraudulent use of leave, uh, yeah, it's it, it's a bunch of hurdles that we need to cover mm -hmm. to deal with that specific issues. Yeah, absolutely. Well, kind of wrapping up here, Rob, we've talked a lot a lot today about FMLA and just kind of the overarching picture. But can you end with any insights and best practices for employers to ensure a smooth and fair practice regarding FMLA eligibility in covered events? So, number one, our HR people who are administering FMLA you need to be trained on how to administer FMLA mm -hmm. properly. Now, that's where we hear at MRA. We have our FMLA Made Simple class yep. where we deal with that issue. For our managers and supervisors, training as well. Mm -hmm. Not how to administer FMLA, but understanding what do I need to listen for, those buckets of leave that starts the FMLA process, and then also what does it mean that I have no penalty under the leave, and also what the basic rights are under the law. So training and awareness are two big compliance tools that we need to use. Yes, absolutely. And also, let's mention about training employees. Mm -hmm. uh, I've had this uh, brought up many, many times during my training programs on FMLA. Well, Rob, this is a really complicated law, so can you come to our organization and just do like a one-hour overview for our employees? Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, the law doesn't state any mandatory training for our employees. In fact, it doesn't even state any mandatory training for HR people or managers or supervisors. Yeah. But unfortunately, it's not required. You know, putting the posters up, responding to the requests when they come in properly, that's the way that we deal with FMLA. We have to be very careful about training our employees because if we just did an explanation of what we just covered, mm -hmm. literally, you were going to open up Pandora's box. Mm -hmm. Hey, do you want to know how to be off on FMLA? Here's how you do it. Now, I'm not saying that 
with a cold shoulder or right. unempathetic. Mm -hmm. But we don't want to encourage the right. issues. Uh, we've had a lot of situations in the past where the entire shipping department all of a sudden now has chronic depression. Oh. Uh, because that word spreads. Right. So we don't need to encourage that. But again, the majority of our cases that we deal with under FMLA, people legitimately do yeah. have medical issues of themselves or a covered family member, and they really do need that time on. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm sure you've seen a lot and heard a lot of stories. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rob, I want to thank you for being on the podcast today, and thank you for sharing your expertise on FMLA specifically. Like I mentioned, this is a highly requested topic, so I appreciate you coming on the podcast today to cover that. And to our listeners, if you liked our chat and topic today, I would urge you to comment something new that you learned today or anything that you'd like to add on to this conversation. We'd love to hear, hear from you. Don't forget to share out this episode. Consider joining MRA if you aren't a member already. We have all the resources you need in the show notes below, including resources on our topic for today and training links, so check those out. And we've also included Rob's bio and LinkedIn profile. So if you'd like to connect with him, um, we've got the resources for you to do that. Otherwise, thank you so much for tuning in. And thanks again, Rob. Thanks for having me. Here's a lot of fun. And we'll see you next week. For this episode, be sure to reference the show notes where you can sign up to connect for more podcast updates. Check out other MRA episodes on your favorite podcast platform. And as always, make sure to follow MRA's 30-Minute Thrive so you don't miss out. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next Wednesday to carry on the HR conversation.